Hello, and welcome to episode 166 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is still most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the stammers. This week we're going to be talking about the King speech on your Do You Know the F Word podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. So this week, we welcome Emmy from the wonderful So You Want to Be Talking podcast. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you guys so much for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Epic Emmy. Awesome. That's a great Twitter handle. <laughs> Isn't it? I'm very proud of my past self for, for thinking ahead. <laughs> right? Every week, we're like, we should come up with something way more interesting goddess mandy stuff like that you know (laughs) no i'm good with mandy k the moment you leave it somebody else is going to snap it up and you can never go back so right yep yep um so we love to to read talking podcast here um it it is one of our faves to to hear you guys talk about uh chapter by chapter through tolkien and start with the difficult ones which is amazing um so obviously you're here with us to talk about you know deep meaningful fantasy Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> the King's Speech, yeah. which is in its own way fantastical. That, yeah, I, it did occur to me this is the time of Tolkien. Yeah, right? I mean, but, World um, War II. Yeah, I'm assuming that doesn't play a part in it. What, why the King's Speech? Why was this the film that you know you love so much? So, hilariously, I have like three all-time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one is The Incredibles. Um, the second is the entire extended edition trilogy of Lord of the Rings, you know, got to stay on brand. Um, (laughs) And then the King's speech is like number one on my list of favorite movies. And it's funny because when I first saw the King's speech, everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong. Uh, My entire family went all together, which we never liked the same movies. Okay. The King's speech was nominated for an Oscar, which Nothing turns me off of a movie faster than learning it has been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about the best picture list, but I just don't like them. Right. Um, we ended up going to an art house theater that always smells like burnt nachos. And <laughs> oh, no. we had to sit in the very front row of the theater, which, like, is always super uncomfortable. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it was like within three minutes of this movie starting, my entire family was like, oh, my God, we love this. Okay. Which, given the start of this movie, which is, like, so awkward. So it was just, it was a really pleasant surprise. Um, I find this movie really refreshing, and I lo- I just love the, like, buddy cop feel of this weird period drama. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm really glad that at least one of your top three movies is one I hadn't seen, so we could do it. Yeah, show. right? I was really excited. <laughs> <laughs> and there is this thing, like, let's just take a quick tangent into Lord of the Rings. You can't differentiate the films. No. It's it's Why would just you want a to? tale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all, I mean, God, they were perfection, the way that they filmed them. So, yeah, I'm just like all three of them together, bulk them up there. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, okay. Okay. Mandy, The King's Speech. Do, do you want to tell us a bit what it's about? Let's Let's start with that. Let's start with the core stuff. Okay. So it is the story of King George the Sixth. The Sixth. How do you say that word? Sixth. King George the Sixth. Sixth. I have I no can't idea. Say that word. Sifted thistles. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1936, King George the Sixth had an impromptu ascension to the throne. And this is the story of that ascension and the speech therapist who helped the unsure monarch overcome his stammer. Which don't have a stammer i just can't say sixths <laughs> it's a lot of s's altogether, wasn't it it is it is okay it's not black and white it's not an old film it's a modern film it's a <laughs> sort of thing you like it's you know british comedy drama thing hey how come you never saw this one <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I remember when it came out thinking, that looks like a really good movie. It had Colin Firth in it. Yeah. (laughs) Why would I not watch it? I don't know. I just didn't. All I can think is maybe around that time I was more interested in comedy. But that's probably not true. Maybe I just didn't have time or forgot about it. I don't don't know. I have no good reason. Okay. No good. No reason. 
No, okay. no reason. <laughs> okay. I hadn't seen it all the way through either. This was my first full watching of it. I'd seen really? the, the, the main stuff and sort of understood it. We've talked about me in British cinema in the past, and this is a little bit, you know, the epitome of it. It's lots of people coming on and doing their thing, but they didn't shoehorn in Dame Judy Dench, so I can stand it a little bit more than normal, you know. Got just about oh, everybody else in it, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it did, but I mean, there are only seven British actors in the world, so who else were they going to put in this <laughs> yeah, movie? Yeah, like, this is kind of the thing. I could stand this because it's not Dame Judy Dench and Bill Nye and Stephen Fry. You know, the the mm-hmm. people who get cast and everything. It is at least other people who get the chance to act. So that's yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, The King's Speech is a 2010 historical drama written by David Seidler and directed by Tom Hooper. It stars Colin Firth, Jeffrey Rush, and Helena Bonham Carter. Seidler had a stammer as a child and was inspired by the King's success in overcoming his own stammer. In the 70s and 80s, Seidler researched the King and Lionel Logue, but found very little information on Logue. Logue's son Valentine agreed to speak to him and make Lionel's notebooks available, but only if the Queen Mother permitted it. She asked him not to during her lifetime, so he halted the project. Then three years after her death in 2002, Seidler returned to the story. He wrote a screenplay, but then turned it into a stage play at the advice of his wife. Once the play was heard, he was urged to rewrite it yet again for the screen. Jeffrey Rush became involved after the producers broke etiquette and hand-delivered the script to his home. The film was both a critical and commercial success. The number of awards and nominations is so large that it has its own Wikipedia page just to list them all. It received the most Academy Award nominations that year, 12, and won four for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Actor. So it's actually really funny because it's now been rewritten again back Mm -hmm. to a stage play, and it's doing a world tour. Um, I just saw it in Chicago, like three-ish months ago, Mm -hmm. it is almost verbatim the movie, except they cut out less of the historical facts. Um, Yeah, it was very weird watching it on stage. And it included, you know, the three British actors that were not in the movie were then in this play. So... (laughs) (laughs) But you can see it because it's set in, or could be set in two or three rooms. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. that was exactly it. They had the tech crew all dressed up like footmen so they could walk in oh, and out nice. of the of the stage without disrupting the flow of the play. It was really right. cool. But um, it was like watching this movie on stage. Do you prefer one over the other or were they just different experiences of the same thing? I think I definitely prefer the movie just because it felt like the play was attempting to be as funny as the movie and the pacing wasn't quite the same. Right. Okay. But okay. yeah, I don't know. Hard to watch when they're so similar. Yeah, really was hard to watch. I kept being like, that's an exact quote. That's an exact quote. Especially since I've seen the movie so many times. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, where, where, different. where are we able to find it this time? Is it available over there? It Netflix. is on Netflix. Nice. nice. Thanks, it, Netflix. Yeah, it is on yes. Netflix here. Uh, apparently, I did record this last year in August to watch. So this was a good prompt to be, hey, I should go and watch that. <laughs> Did you record it just because you wanted to, or did you like have hope we were going to do it on the show one day? Um, you know, little column A, little column B. I, I at some point I will go through and watch all the best picture winners. So there is also a okay. thing of like collecting them on the recordings. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm very impressed that you recorded something in August and then kept it for so many months. Oh, I've got stuff from because years. He's kept oh, things for just, years. I call everything. It's like, oh, I haven't watched that in three weeks. Goodbye. Oh, wow. It's never happening. Oh, I'd never watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> the backlog is too long. <laughs> yeah, we had we had one recently that I think, was it maybe Days of Thunder that you recorded back in like 2017? Oh my God. Because you what? knew it was on the list? What? Oh, no, it wasn't Twilight. How did your TV not just like delete it for you? <laughs> or they not just like, no, we give up? The DVR's huge. It's got loads of space. It's all good. Um, That's awesome. Although I do have the issue at some point, if I go and try and go and watch all the, the best pitch winners, there's a couple of Woody Allen films in there. And I'm not sure I want to, but also it's a list yeah. that needs completing. Yeah, that's a struggle. Mm. Let let me know if anyone else has faced this sort of issue. <laughs> right, this has got, you know, the, the British actors in it. Colin Firth and Helena Bonham Carter and Jeffrey Rush. And directed by Tom Hooper, Mandy. Have you seen their other stuff? What do you know them from? Um, I didn't know Tom Hooper by name, but I recognize his 
filmography list mm-hmm. as a director. Um, I have seen Les Mis, the movie Blah. version. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the longest three hours of my life. I got. I had so many hopes for that movie, but then it was just like I stared into people's eyeballs the entire time. <laughs> I just needed it to be slightly further away from their face. <laughs> Tom, why did you That's, do this? That to is me? fair. Yeah. Um, I had also I had not seen the the stage version, so I've only seen the movie version. I'm so of, sorry. Of Les Mis. Um, and it was it was tough, but the music was most of the music was good. Yeah, most. Um, he also did Cats this last year, but they... I have not seen Cats, and I don't think I'm going to. Emma, have you seen Cats? So no, okay. Cats is the only. It's my first Broadway play that I ever saw in my life. It's my I first so Broadway sorry. musical memory. I was seven years old. <laughs> And I got out of my seat, climbed under my chair, buried my face in my jacket, and cried until my mother took me out in intermission and then let me oh, no. leave. That is my memory. I can't of believe cats. you ever. I can't believe you ever went back to see a Broadway show after I know. that. Oh my I see gosh! So many of them all the time. That is like my burning memory of like a play. My first play was a traumatizing experience. Oh, and you had to anyway, wait until the intermission. Yeah, because we were in the middle of a row. Oh, no. So, like, we couldn't leave, and I wasn't crying loud enough to, like, get my mother to suck it up and carry me out of the okay. out of okay. the theater. <laughs> I knew you have Aww. to be quiet in the theater. Uh, anyway, yeah. the, it's a funny story now. <laughs> so, so when I went to see Wicked, there was a, a mother and daughter next to me. And and the daughter had sort of grokked onto in the, in the program about the flying monkeys and was a little bit scared. And the play starts with them just climbing down the stage and running around and, and making noise and stuff. And she just let rip, just screaming <laughs> out. So the mother bundles her off and gets her out. And then 10 minutes later, Aww. some some usher comes back on, gets their bag and walks back off with them. Oh, <laughs> poor kids. That's what you yeah. needed to do. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, if I had known that I could have escaped sooner, I'm sure I would have. I love kids in theater. I know some people get like, really terrible about it but most of the time they're adorable mm. yeah you, you fantasize more and you know, project the imagination well, it's wonderful i was sitting next to like a four-year-old at the percy jackson okay. musical mm-hmm. and they just talked the entire oh, they were like bless. this is what's oh, happening no. this is what's happening they were like super cute and they like knew all of the percy jackson story and they were so excited to be there and i was like that's that's the broadway dream this is like come on amazing <laughs> we should be this happy yeah yeah right Aww. Okay. We were doing something, weren't we? Okay. <laughs> we we like no, yeah, we want to show, talk don't about worry. this as well. I've not this... seen Cats either, but um, Mandy, remember we had Tim Baton ages ago? He and Guy mm-hmm. just did a mini-series where they went to see Cats every day for a week. And on day, uh, on oh day seven, he rented cat costumes as well. Why? Oh, God. It's a, okay. It's a really good mini-series. <laughs> they dig into that film quite a lot. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. All right, moving mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Colin Firth, um, do we know we, Colin Firth? We Never have talked about Colin Firth several <laughs> times on this show before, but any opportunity for me to say Pride and Prejudice, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've also talked about Jeffrey Rush before because I made you watch Shakespeare in Love. You did. <laughs> I think this is our first Helena Bonham Carter, though. Is it? Ooh, it might be, actually. Because I looked through the list, and, and I've seen her in several things. Um, you know, Harry Potter, Fight Club, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Sweeney Todd, also Les Mis. But I don't think we've had her on the show before, which is interesting. And that might be the thing, because you've pretty much named her big films. Her big stuff, like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking through this. Like, Fight Club is probably the one I think we would have made you watch, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that that came out the summer after my senior year in high school. Okay. And so, you know, Brad Pitt's abs. <laughs> yes. We all watched that movie a lot. <laughs> 16, 17-year-old Mandy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seen it. So, <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> similar material. I, I feel that this is a good point probably for both of you to stake your claim about the, the enjoyment as Americans of films and productions about British upper class culture and the royal family. So I googled, show me films like The King's Speech. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I couldn't think of anything. And you hadn't put the extra bit here, you know, about the royal yeah, family or the British fault. upper class. So it didn't even, it is absolutely your fault. 
So movies, I couldn't think of another movie that I've okay. seen that's similar to this. There, I'm sure it exists, but based on everything that came up in all of the lists, I had not seen any of them. But I am quite a huge fan of Downton Abbey. Right, okay. <laughs> which falls square into this time period, even. Yeah. Like, I... You know, I think I even mentioned in in my thoughts doc that there was an episode, um, the king speaking on the wireless for the first time is what got Lord Grantham to allow a radio in house. Like it was a whole thing. Right. So, Downton Abbey, that's that's what I got. Have you watched The Crown? Yes. Okay. No. Okay. With Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Mm. I I haven't. She's just, just, just like no, I have no idea. No. No. <laughs> Um, it's on, I mean, I want, it's in my list on Netflix okay. to watch, but. Isn't everything? Yes. My list on Netflix is, it's never happening. <laughs> it's it like grows DVR. exponentially yeah, faster than I watch things. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you like this sort of, you know, the, the stylistic British culture. I love I this. It's just not in a time period that I've, that I normally watch. I all, mm-hmm. all my I was a German major. All of my okay. like World War Two dramas mm-hmm. came from the other side of things. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I c- I couldn't name it. another movie besides well, not movie TV show besides mm-hmm. Downton Abbey and The Crown that mm-hmm. took place in this time period about mm-hmm. the monarchy or the aristocracy that I I don't know. Yeah, I think we had some, but I don't think they've probably ever been imported upstairs, downstairs, and so. On. However, Mandy, did you enjoy the King's Speech? I did. Yay! <laughs> Were you worried? No, it's my favorite movie, but I still feel somehow like I've accomplished something. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I did. I really enjoyed it. It was fascinating. It was, um, it, it told a tale that we are not taught right. in American schools. So I had absolutely no idea that there was a king that was king for less than a year and abdicated the throne. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to marry a twice-divorced American woman, right? Like, completely blew my mind that that was real. Okay. Yeah, so, I, like, that is probably my first question is, is I, I mean, the Wallace Simpson stuff is pretty core to it. But the, you know, machinations of the the court at um, the royal family, did you know anything about this stuff before watching it? I mean, no, I knew that there was a king. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> You have one over there on that side of the pond. There is a king. Yeah. There were, in fact, many in this movie alone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I learned absolutely nothing about this period of time. But then we left the movie theater and I immediately was like, how much of this was real? And then I discovered all of the crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy crap that I never knew. Like, King George V was euthanized. He did not die of natural causes. His doctors yeah. gave him a combination of morphine and cocaine yeah. so that he would die oh. on time. <laughs> they needed oh, him to they depart didn't show in that time. Movie. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> that was like, the doctor's choice. It wasn't even like the family and he asked for it. The doctor was like, oh, this will be good for the king. Like, you don't get to decide when someone else like, dies. Wait, <laughs> you did what? Yeah, right. I know. Never addressed. Yeah. Never, they never wow. addressed it. Oh, Wallace that's the Simpson least like, of the things they don't address. <laughs> no kidding. There was the whole, like, Wallace Simpson was widely regarded to have been a spy. She was a political spy who, like, left the game because she managed to ensnare a king. <laughs> they never talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, hmm. David slash Edward the Eighth, Edward the Seventh. I can't remember. There's a lot of ones. Uh, seventh, yeah, yeah, eighth, yeah. I think. Whatever. Who, okay. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Not whatever. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> Like that he, one king over yeah, there went to visit concentration camps. Mm-hmm. He was not like not a member of the Nazi party, but he was like an actual Nazi. Gave like, the Nazi salutes. And, mm. Yeah. And oh, wow. like was supporting like you can invade the United Kingdom and I will support you as long as you put me back on the throne. It's like, excuse me. Wait, you did what? Never learned any of that. Blew my mind. My small 18 year old mind. And, and the film does. It doesn't dive into the politics of the rise of Nazi Germany and so on. It it like flirts with it. Yeah, well, it's it like that yeah. scene in the wine cellar where they're like, "Who's going to deal with Hitler?" And they're like, "Eh, somebody yeah. else." <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the prime minister resigns largely because of how it's handled. Rearmament was right? it? I'm pretty sure he didn't want to rearm. He did want to rearm. He did that. That prime minister did not want to rearm. Okay. Or, or, or that makes more sense. History has talked about him not wanting to rearm enough. 
you know, if, if okay. we had rearmed more, we would have been more prepared for the war. But, you know. <laughs> there is also a really interesting critique of this movie, which I didn't know until mm. I was, like, Googling quotes from this movie, about Churchill. Because Churchill supported King Edward, uh, David, in his character to be like, no, you should be able to marry Wallace Simpson and still be king. Like, you should fight this abdication. Like, his connection with, with Bertie and Helena Bonham's Carter character, who I can't remember the Elizabeth. name of. Thank you. Also, Elizabeth. <laughs> yes. The name everyone has. Yeah. Um, it was just not real. They just completely made it up. I was like, oh, well, we definitely think that Churchill did everything right on this side of the pond. We mm-hmm. love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and over here, you know, the, you don't talk about prime ministers before him. He it is you know he's the first <laughs> it was his first job. Yeah, basically, um, like we do learn some of this in school, but but you know that sort of detail we don't get into. But the abdication of the king, and I think because it's got a kind of you know nice moral ending. It's like oh, he was in love, so he abdicated because he fell in love with someone who meant he couldn't be king. That is definitely how they framed yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Giving, like, showing the end of his speech where I can't do any of this stuff without the support of the woman that I yeah. love by my side, right? And I was like, huh. But but there was also this whole, odd. like, political pressure with the, the prime minister saying, if you do this, I will resign and you will not have the support of a government. <laughs> Cause that, and and it's, it's slightly strange watching now because it's a time when there was more power in the monarchy and more closer ties to the political side of British government. But it was also a time when half of Europe had a dictator or some sort of, you know, very different political oversight. Right. So it's really strange well, watching now. Yeah. Yeah. I loved diving into that. It's yeah. So yeah, definitely cool. a history lesson. So is that some of what sort of sold it for you? And just, you know, it, watching it and going, wow, this is actually interesting stuff that I don't know. Did that help? Yeah, I think so. Some of it is just it's a fascinating story. You know, it's a feel good story. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, watching someone overcome part of it is overcoming their own feelings about themselves mm-hmm. because he was so down on himself in the beginning of the movie and watching him kind of grow as a person, regardless of whether he's a king or not. Mm. Right. Just watching him kind of become more comfortable and confident in his own skin. I love stories like that. And the friendship between Bertie and Lionel was wonderful. I mean, there were moments where I just wanted to smack Bertie upside the head, but, yes. you know, Lionel always treated him like an equal and never lied to him. And it was pretty great. Yeah, I really feel like just diving into that feel-good friendship movie. This is like Mm -hmm. a buddy cop movie. Okay, Mm -hmm. it really is. Like opposites (laughs) attract in the best ways. And (laughs) they're, they're like fighting crime, except the crime is really just like attempting to solve all of Birdie's self-confidence issues in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And, oh. It's so sweet. <laughs> it is. Also, it really is. So witty. Like, they're just so funny. They had great chemistry on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really got that sort of, uh, you know, s- stiff one and loose one, as it were. The sort of Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte, you know, coming together type thing. Like, it works really well. They did a great job. Mm-hmm. I did reach out to uh, our friend uh, Kate at Katie Sheru because she is a speech therapist. And I thought, oh, it would what be, did she think? well, it would be quite interesting. She did say that, you know, her specialism isn't quite in some of this stuff, but she said it, it's like the stuff in what the film says. I'm going to try and see if there's a, a really good direct quote here. People said that it was reasonably accurate for the time and for some of the things that were being tested and practiced and different, different methods of treatment. But the film's release itself was problematic because people suddenly went, oh, we can all do that and fix people with speech problems. And the issue is it's not real. <laughs> yeah, you, you generally can't fix a speech problem. You, you know, you can learn to deal with it and manage it, but you can't stop it. I think there was a comment in the in somewhere in the production stuff that they had written a Hollywood ending where he gave the speech. I am king, and I shall give you a speech. Right. Blah, blah, blah. But but no, that's not the thing. You just learn how to deal with it in the best way. And and I think what they deliver in the film is really good because it's so similar to the speech as was given. You know, he is doing an impression of of that thing. Well, and the movie also boiled down something that took years Mm -hmm. to really be just over a couple of months. Like, I mean, I know that their relationship and and they kind of did some footnotes that said this relationship spanned decades. But you didn't get that impression watching the movie. It really felt like it was 
six months a year. Well, it would have been a little over a year since he was doing it before his brother took over, right? Um, and his brother was only king for like 340 days or something. Yeah, I, th- I think um, the, the film actually spans about four years. Mm-hmm. But it has to be but, two hours, yeah, so it exactly. really doesn't feel like it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But I wonder if that kind of contributes to the fix-it mentality, because in the movie it feels like it happened so much faster mm-hmm. than it really did, because it took him years. And, and he actually started working with Lionel earlier in his life than the movie showed. Right, okay. So the, uh, the thing I think it does well, and again, you know, stuff from Kate, who said that, People who stammer are often expected to do a lot of hard work, uh, you know, to overcome the disfluency mm-hmm. um, and to figure out how to solve it, to put other people at their ease and to come up with these coping mechanisms. And I think the film does a very good thing of, he does reject the methods. He said, you know, fine, I will live with this. I will find another way. I'm not going through your thing. And it is the point at which he, uh, you know, he does it through the, the slight strong arming of, hearing on the record that he's spoken and, and done it well and his wife sort of pressuring him as well as becoming king and needing to do it somewhere yeah um but he does go okay maybe there is some value in this maybe i should do the thing and it's it's when he actually gets into it that yes it's done rather than people showing up with marbles in to, to chew on and that kind of thing yeah <laughs> like smoking will relax yeah. the esophagus i was like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> what That's you're not a doctor how that works. i know mm. gosh <laughs> the things we used to think are just astounding yeah. yeah um i did i really appreciated um i guess kind of in that same vein the way lionel approached it because he asked him things like um are you naturally right-handed and we kind of learn that over the course of his life you know birdie had been expected to course correct himself you know they mm. forced him to wear braces for his legs they you know tied his hand so he would be right-handed instead of left and they approached those things as if they're bad like that that onus shouldn't have been put on him mm-hmm. and i i appreciated that they took that stance well just like a lifetime of abuse which is not something yeah. you normally think of it's like oh they're the prince. They live a charmed Pampered life. It. It's mm-hmm. like, no, he was like starved. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what? That was tragic. <laughs> I, yeah. And yeah, that the, was astounding. The, the left hand, right thing, hand thing. That's the thing you hear about kids at school. Suddenly, yeah. you know, for me growing up, the, the, I, I have friends who have said, oh, I was told I had to write with my right hand. I couldn't write with my left hand. And they just had to learn oh, really? it. Yeah. Just, Even that recently. You know, archaic views in doing these things. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, the the main thing I think I think Kate did want to get across was that the the she said sneak in a warning off. Don't try this at home. <laughs> you know there, there <laughs> yeah, is a reason right? people study and become doctors to do this sort of thing. There are professionals, right. but it, it was interesting that like they really do go into the range of different techniques. There is an element of psychoanalysis in this. There's an element of physical therapy in this. There's an element of mental, you know, overcoming it and coming up with a strategy in your head. So, you know, he says like, take a run at it or say in this way or do something that allowed yeah, him to deal the with it. tricks are important. Yeah. It's absolutely. It's so yeah. good to see all of them and the way they did some of the montages where he was giving one of the speeches, um, opening the factory or race course or something. And, and you the see, racehorse mm-hmm. was at the beginning, and it was terrible. I think the factory is the one that we're thinking right. of, where he actually used did techniques yeah. better. Yeah, did really it? Good. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. The swearing technique was apparently invented entirely for the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Which I was like, well, it worked, and I guess it caused a lot of drama in the box office world about yeah. how this movie was rated. Yeah. The BBFC. So it's the BBFC are our version of the MPAA, although mm-hmm. less secretive, and they do actual, <laughs> actual proper ratings Work. and public stuff. Yeah. They rated it, I think, high because I think they rated it something like a 15, like, um. It was a 15. Mm-hmm. I don't know what any of it means. It was a 15 and then it was a 12A. I want to say. Contextualize. Yeah. That. For, for a 15, no one below <laughs> it can go. So NC 17 wow. or rated R. One of those it R, would be. Probably. Right. Well, I don't. I don't think I've ever well, seen a movie no, rated, it's rated R. If it's rated R, you can get in if you have a guardian with you. Okay. Um, NC seventeen, you cannot. Right. So I think NC seventeen might be fairly close, although obviously it's a fifteen, so it's slightly younger. Yeah. Fine. Um, but they got publicly castigated by the director and others for that, mm-hmm. uh, and I think because they wanted the low rating, because this was going to be much more of a family film. That's how and, you make money. Yeah. 
on their podcast, they have referenced this a number of times and said, you know, oh, we did that because it was more comedic and so it was in the thing. They're still to this day trying to justify it and I don't think they should have. I think it deserved a 15 rating for excessive swearing in the middle that makes it look like, oh, yeah, kids who are 12 or something go around swearing like that all the time. I don't know. I feel like it all served a point And in no way was it like you should go swearing at other people like that. I don't understand. <laughs> Here in America, yeah, it was I... rated R, which. Right. It is not an R rated yeah. movie. No, but it was for the for the swearing. Mm, I, I think I read that it was either Tom Hooper or Helena Bonham Carter gave examples of movies that have like graphic torture scenes mm-hmm. that are rated lower um, over in the UK, and that's why they fought it so hard, and that's part of why it got lowered. Yeah. And and I think there is something to look at those other things, but I think the swearing there there is this thing of, and I think you have the same thing over there. There's only one F in twelve. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and for a film to suddenly sort of break that and do something that you could have young kids and young families going and seeing without necessarily like these are not terms you should be using in public and they serve a time and a place (laughs) it's probably the thing well i I think i can see it both ways but in the in the grander context of the entire movie i i think it should have been rated lower okay yeah i would agree with that but I also see that, like, if they had rated it PG-13, the first soccer mom who walked into that movie with her kids would have lost her mind. Oh, like, absolutely. it would have been a huge problem in America. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. And especially- I, just, I didn't realize there was drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did consider, um, uh, not, they, they, Tom Hooper refused to consider cutting right. any- any of the, the cuss words, but they did consider beeping them out. Which is, okay. like, worse. To get the rating lower. But they ended up not, so... It's the sort of thing where I think it almost would have been funnier if at the point the king is supposed to be swearing, we cut to being with his sons and it's coming through, but it's muffled. So it's a bit more just... <laughs> or like you, you see him behind glass going at it and swearing, mm-hmm. but you can't hear what he's saying or something. That would have been an artistic way mm. to do it. I could not picture them bleeping out the no. swear words because yeah. I'm like, this is such a like literary art movie just like stylistically mm-hmm. and then like you'd have these bleeps i'd be i would have been just so jarred <laughs> confused yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. and especially coming from we watched um forwardings in a funeral a few weeks ago and and that opens with a lot of swearing that they then <laughs> recorded a different dialogue track for the states <laughs> of course they did of course, of course they did yep this was actually very not dissimilar to that whole swearing like the same cadence, mm-hmm. the same way they use the words. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have never heard in a movie somebody say fuckity fuck before, right? <laughs> and they did that in Four Weddings and a Funeral. And he also did it in The King's Speech. It, it, he said fuckity shit, actually, in The King's Speech. But um, it just caught my attention because I say stuff like that. But I've never heard anybody else do it. And to have it be in two movies so close together that we've watched was interesting to me. Serendipitous. You're going to have yeah. to... I'm going to have to, like, beat myself, aren't I? Because <laughs> we're Brits. When we swear, we swear bloody well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely I, more creatively than we do. <laughs> I, True story. I do think that the direction in this film, there's times it's sort of like where he's filming and everyone's off-center and they're doing you know, slightly unusual ways of filming or, or non-standard ways. I kept looking for meaning in it and I'm not sure I could find anything other than the style. Did did it like stand out to you that, oh, this means it's a different place or a different feeling or? Well, I thought it was supposed to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> like I thought the point was mm. like, he feels claustrophobic. He feels really mm. uncomfortable with these people. He's always in the golden ratio. Well, maybe not always, but close to always. And then everybody who's trying to tell him what to do ends up being directly in the center of the screen. Okay. Like his doctors and the priest or whoever's like Mm -hmm. trying to order him and fix him Mm -hmm. is is center stage. So I don't know. I didn't look up much about the cinematography, but I thought it was just supposed to be like, you are awkwardly close to his face because you should be as uncomfortable as he is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's the impression I got as well. The The scene that stands out the most to me is one where he, oh, I can't remember exactly what was happening um, because I was so uncomfortable, it kind of just went away. Um, but we cut from his face, which kind of seemed 
normal. And then we cut to a crowd of people in the same room, but they shot them from below. Mm. So they looked like they were looming over him, even though they weren't. Mm. But you kind of got that claustrophobic, like, they're judging me kind of feeling. And I think that thread was there throughout the movie. Anytime we were looking through Bertie's perspective. Hmm. I would agree. We yeah, were. It was a deeply point of view movie. Yes. Mm. His anxiety just like bounces off the screen. Yeah. Yes. Which was terrible. It stressed for me. me out like, a little. Yeah. Bit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I don't do well with secondhand embarrassment. Every time he like has to give a speech, I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Don't do it. I don't yeah. want to hear like, it. My heart <laughs> is pounding right now just talking about it. I'm like, oh god, I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> I know it has to end well, but gosh, at what cost? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the the performance from Colin Firth is, it, it feels slightly stereotypically British, but it is very gripping. Like, you can see why he won awards for it. It's such a good commanding performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a part, though, where I can't, though, he's like, they're watching the film of Hitler, and he's like, I have no idea what he's saying. And I was like, you're German. <laughs> well, there is no well. way, like, you all spoke German, the entire royal family. There's, like, no way you wouldn't know. He's called Albert. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, come on. What are we doing? Yeah, I, th- I think I saw that in one of the, like, critical reviews, was that there's no way that he wouldn't have known what Hitler was saying. Yeah, they were very German. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was my moment it's- of, like, excuse me? And, uh, yeah, I, uh, that, you've reminded me that the good moment where... Is it Churchill who tells him he should be King George? Yes. Like, and that became such a thing in the Second World War of, of the image of George with the lance and the, the evil dragon that is the Reich being killed. Mm. Like, you can see him already thinking a couple of years, this is going to be useful. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Mm. But they don't lean into it. It's, it's just, it is, it was fascinating watching how much they didn't go into what else was going on and, you know, big topics conversation. It was very much a people movie. Mm. Yeah, it was cool. I love it. It's, there's a reason it's my favorite movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, going back to Colin Firth's performance really quick, though, there was one moment that I he was crying. <laughs> okay. I'm not a king. <laughs> I'm a naval officer. That's all I know. <laughs> I'm not a kid. I'm not a kid. I'm sorry. And it was the worst on-screen cry I have ever seen in my life. I mean, he's emotionally it was... stunted. Is that what? <laughs> to be fair, his character is supposed to be bad at this, but I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're not wrong. So I, it was interesting though because, like, in the in the scene where his father dies, um, like he cries, but it's very silent, and he's just got tears on his face. Stiff Stiff up lip. Lip. And yeah, I thought yeah, that was yeah. lovely. <laughs> that was lovely. But then you get to the moment where he just breaks down. Um, with I think Elizabeth is there with him, and it's just the worst it's like so forced and so <laughs> right? that's kind of what he did and i was like uh, colin for i expect better than that i know colin you can for. cry better than this yes i'm sure we've seen him cry better than that i can't think of when but i'm if, sure you're right if you're not gonna cry go jump in a lake and we'll see how we do for that you know there you go <laughs> yeah that would have yeah. fit right in this movie yeah it really would would have been fine yeah but other than that, his his performance was wonderful and delightful. <laughs> he he did really really well at during that final speech, mm-hmm. watching him like steal himself, right, and like kind of gird his loins, and and you could see him trying to just get to the next sentence, and you could feel his stress, but also his success. Mm-hmm. Like, he was proud of himself as he was doing it. Like, Colin Firth just conveyed all of that so well, um, just, you know, through his facial expressions and the way that he spoke. He just can't cry. <laughs> he can't cry. And, and you can also see that as listening to it, you can see, you know, this is not an easy speech to give, talking about we're at war for the second mm-hmm. time in 30 years. So, you know, it's, it, this Last is... Last time a lot of people died. Yeah. And this yeah. time yeah. was worse. Mm. I Yeah. No, I love that. So much. I also love when he's giving the speech that he's in like that weird cocoon of hideousness <laughs> yeah. with all the blankets. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't just... know. That kind of looks like my old recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> I 
He's like, I wanted it to be familiar. Like, I wanted to remind you of my office. And I was like, your office with the most hideous mm-hmm. wallpaper I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> Not my definition of yeah. a comforting space, but okay. Right. I- it was soft. And That's I, true. I love just for the image of the thing that he then walks out and sits behind a desk, pretends to read for a second, and then gets to move on. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's all fake. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this taught me. Mm-hmm. Everything is fake. All right. We've been talking about this movie for a little while. We've also been gushing about this movie a lot. I think we've already talked about a lot of our favorite favorite moments. But Matthew, I want to know really what your favorite moments were. I I, I don't think I have favorite moments in there. there. There are those small things, those things of, you know, he comes out, but he still has to sit behind the desk for the photo op. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was really interesting to read that Colin Firth was not the first choice for this, mm-hmm. that Paul Bethany yep. and Hugh Grant were up for it first and passed. And you feel like all three of them would have given basically the same performance. <laughs> <laughs> at the stiff upper lip reserve British performance. I can see Paul Bettany doing it more than I can see Hugh Grant doing it. One feels more serious than the other. I feel yeah. like- I would have put Hugh Grant as David mm. more than Birdie. Mm. That's just because I'm used to seeing Hugh Grant act juvenile. Well, but yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's the yes. problem, isn't it? I think You're that's not wrong. You expect him to do, <laughs> do been- comedy. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, and maybe that's why he passed. Maybe he felt he would have to go more serious for this. I, mm. That said, though, Guy Pearce is really good in this. To, ha- yeah. to have an Australian doing such a good British accent when you've got another Australian <laughs> not even caring how he sounds anymore. And Jeffrey Rush, who normally does such a good British accent, having to now be Australian. It's really, yeah, it's it's weird and fun, the two of them. So was he trying to do an Australian accent? Because he just sounded British to me. Jeffrey Rush. Yes. Jeffrey Rush, I think, is Australian. He says, clicking on Wikipedia and talking slowly. <laughs> Wikipedia will tell us. Up. Yeah, Australia. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush is Australian. Well, he didn't sound Australian. To <laughs> he me. totally did. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I can tell the difference. So <laughs> <laughs> clearly, I can't. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. I'm really bad at accents. <laughs> Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush sounded the same to me in this movie. Right. I did like when you walked so. into his office. There's like that Sydney painting or something in mm-hmm. his waiting room to try to like contextualize. Like this guy's an outsider. He is a a decorative poster from a prison colony <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> essentially <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah and, and guy pierce is british but grew up in australia but does a very mm. good british accent in this. and it, you know guy pierce frankly does a good accent in everything he does jennifer ely's accent is pretty good i, th- I think yes she, i mean we already knew it was though well, <laughs> we but she was doing an australian accent in this and it was pretty good however let's talk helena bonham carter she Love looks her. like the Queen Mum. She sounds like the Queen Mum. For for someone who I don't think acts very much in the film she's in, she is Helena Bonham Carter in the film she's in. That's fair. Yes. You know, and this is my thing with yep. British actors. They come on and do the thing they do. She's actually really good in this. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of moments where... She didn't where act she... anything like anything I've ever seen before. Mm. Like... It's- right? I mean, I know her from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. and Harry Potter, and then here she is being the queen. And it's like, mm, this is very different from Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is as far from Bellatrix Lestrange as you can get. Mm. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I really liked her in this. And I, I think she, this was the interesting, so we, I, I actually did some reading on the Queen Mum a while ago because there was a picture of her in So I Married an Axe Murderer. And I was interested why they mm-hmm. were throwing darts at that picture. Um, <laughs> And it turns out there are some debating opinions on her and apparently not necessarily being the nicest person to people like Wallace Simpson. And she was not very nice to Wallace Simpson in this. No. No, she wasn't. So it was. Listen, I, Wallace Simpson was cutting down trees. I also would have cut her. <laughs> I, I, I quite like they gave her a side. She wasn't just pushy wife, you know, causing him to do stuff. And she wasn't right. just nice, royal, sort of mm-hmm. trying to keep the, the appearances. She actually had a personality, and that was good. Yeah. Mm. I really liked her line, though, that the reason she decided to marry him was because he had a really beautiful stammer, so he'll never be king. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a, on you. And this is the rumor, the room, I don't even know if it's fact or rumor, um, that she had gone after his older brother, and hadn't gotten anywhere, so went for the younger brother. Interesting. Whether that wouldn't true, surprise me. 
But it's really hard because, I, like I said a few weeks ago, for us, the Queen Mum is sherry drinking, bets on horses, <laughs> you know, the nation's nan sort of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was it was it odd watching her, like a younger iteration of her in this movie? No, because you sort of grow up with images of the royalty through the ages. And, and like I say, you do learn some of this in school. So Yeah. You know. I was surprised to learn. Well, I guess surprised isn't the right word, but like they asked... She was like, yeah, but I don't want you to do this until after I'm dead. Mm. And they they were like, yeah, okay, like, we can wait until you die, and then we'll make this movie about your life. Here in America, they'd be like, we'd like you to wait until we're dead, and Americans would be like, no. Gotta make that dough. We can make yep. money off of this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. And that's what makes me wonder if, if like, other reasons for them diluting some of the political aspects is getting more assistance from the royal family, getting access to notebooks, getting access to, you know, understanding what happened. Because if you start going against them, it's very hard to get access to get things released. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So hmm. We hear lots of things on this side of the pond. It's fascinating. <laughs> and we never know if they're true We never not. know. We have no idea. <laughs> well, according to this, it's all lies. Everything you hear is a lie, especially the lies. <laughs> Um, one last interesting fact about Helena Bonham Carter is she was filming this simultaneously as she was filming Harry Potter. Yeah, which one yes. would this have been? Would this have been Deathly Hallows? So, yeah, Deathly Hallows Part yeah. 2 should have been being filmed at this time. Right. And it came out the following year. Yeah. Because one so, came out two months before this movie. Okay. Yeah. So we were deep in Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh, yeah. Mm territory so her going back and forth between these two is awesome like and not having any of it bleed through Mm -hmm. is pretty great Mm. it is actually helena bottom carter has my favorite line in this movie there are a lot of i have a lot of favorite lines but it's the when they're at lionel's house and his wife shows up early Mm -hmm. and they abandon the queen in in the dining room and the queen has to be like you know it's your majesty the first time and then it's ma'am is in ham and not mom is in palm i'm like it was just i was like thank you (laughs) thank you your majesty that was great you handled that with aplomb yeah I, I like that they portrayed the royals as very human. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't often get that. You get the stiff upper lip all the time. And, and you know, I would imagine, like, even with the swearing, like, it got criticized because the royal family would never say those words. I call shenanigans <laughs> on that. Behind closed doors, of course they do. Right? And so I enjoyed seeing a very human side to the royals, which we don't often get to see portrayed on screen. And this couple particularly. So when um, the war started, they stayed at Buckingham Palace um, or, or Windsor Castle. So they stayed in the London area. There is a quote from the Queen Mum about when Buckingham Palace finally got bombed. And, you know, it did get hit and they almost died, I think, in one of them. But she said, I can. I feel like I can now look the East End in the face because we've been hit as well. Like, they they had a whole thing of they were there during the Blitz as well. So they are, you know, part of the people, part of the, the, the country. Right, yeah. right. Mm. Well, yeah, because, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but, like, the class distinctions were only getting worse. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we're going to go full-on French Revolution. So, <laughs> like, they left it to their daughter, really, right, to, like, rehab what the royal palace mm. presented. But... Mm-hmm. And it, it's, know, it's uh, wild. just as an aside, it's interesting the parallels that you had. So let's try and get this right. He's the great grandson of Queen Victoria. Okay, his okay. no, isn't he the grandson? His father is the grandson. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's like the, I the, you. the interesting I thing that's the parallel is is Queen Victoria was queen for so long. Her son was only king for uh, a few years, maybe nine years, but not. Uh, the you know a very very long reign and then his father was king for 20 years maybe a little bit longer you know a, a sort of not too unnormal reign but it's a little bit like what would happen now is in charles taking the throne you know charles is fairly old <laughs> at this point so mm-hmm. he would not have the longest <laughs> reign potentially right and then william would have the chance to have a long reign. It, it's really interesting, the parallels of when when you have a long monarch, suddenly you get these sort of series of ancient monarchs for, for a while, and then one one who comes in fairly young. 
There's um really interesting wedding pictures from Bertie and Elizabeth's wedding. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but Queen Victoria dictated like what their wedding was going to look like and their wedding pictures is Albert is in the center of the wedding picture and the bride is all the way at the wow. side of the screen. <laughs> oh. And they're all everyone in the picture is looking at this bust of Albert. It's okay. actually a little bit terrifying. Mm. I have to look this up. Brilliant. Yes. Wait, I should see if I can find the one I'm talking about. Photography has come a very long way, hasn't it? Because <laughs> I can recognize no one's faces. <laughs> they don't look like Colin Firth. <laughs> they don't. And you know what? They have sideburns in all of these pictures that they cut from the movie. Hmm. I found like a crop of the picture I'm thinking of, but I can't find the full size picture. Do a Google image search. That Get a lot of sides. promising. Nobody smiled in these pictures. I know. Was it because they had to hold the picture for so long or? The royal family don't smile. They barely wave. <laughs> that, that hand thing. Yeah, why? Like, like, where did it that? come from? It, it, it is this thing that that's how the royal family wave. It's I've, ne- I've never understood it, but it is a, a constant joke because they, they are the only people who do it. Them and in the Princess Diaries. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, that is true. All right. Did you have any other favorite moments that we haven't? Uh, Helena Bonham Carter got me through this film. Absolutely. She's great. She's really good. She is yeah. great. Watching her and Birdie together mm. was great. They had a great relationship. Agreed. At least portrayed in this yeah. movie. I don't know if in, rea- in reality they did, but they certainly did. Yeah. Who knows about reality? Yeah. Version. I, I sus- we've learned, it's all lies. I suspect Colin Firth has chemistry with everyone he meets. He could have chemistry with a coffee cup. He's j- yeah, just so charming. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Mandy? You know, we've talked about most of them. The swearing is probably my all-time favorite thing. <laughs> okay. Um, followed by Myrtle's reaction to having the king and queen in her house. You know, Lionel's hiding because he didn't tell her he was working <laughs> with the king. <laughs> and Bertie's like, dude, you just have to go out there. Um, and then she's like, are you staying for dinner? Like, I have to ask, <laughs> but also I know please the answer. God, no. Yes. Please say no. <laughs> And Elizabeth is so good at that moment. She's like, I oh, know. that's such a wonderful offer. And we would love to, but... <laughs> you can yeah. tell she's like, I would literally yeah, so fall good. off a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was this this, this one quote where um, it was right in the first meeting between Lionel and Bertie. And um, it was when Bertie said, you know, the doctors have said smoking is fine and, you know, uses the throat. And Lionel's like, they're idiots. And Bertie says, they've all been knighted. And Lionel goes, makes it official then. <laughs> and he's just, he's very quippy mm. yeah, in this movie. And I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't take any shit from Bertie. Like, he did not care that he was royal. He always addressed him as his equal and, like, pushed him and challenged him. And I really enjoyed that. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, a buddy cop movie. Yeah, because I think he did care. I think in the fact he doesn't he doesn't tell anyone he doesn't do, you know he knows mm-hmm. this is a big get for him and whilst mm-hmm. he still does his normal how he would work with someone I think it does have an impact on him well yeah I I think when I say he doesn't care I think I mean it doesn't make him treat him any differently than he would treat mm-hmm. any other mm-hmm. patient that he has right yeah. like he doesn't give him the royal treatment. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's no. You know, I think that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I, I just absolutely enjoyed it. It was wonderful. This actually may be my favorite Jeffrey Rush role that I've seen. Okay. What? I'm kidding. I mean, he's, it's my favorite. But I'm also over here like he's the best Captain Barbosa anyone could ever ask for. I know Listen. he's so good in Captain Barbosa, and he's so good in Shakespeare in Love. It's a mystery. You know, like, I love him in everything that I've seen, but I do think this is my favorite. This was, yeah. They just did such a good job. What about you? Is there anything we haven't talked about yet, Emmy, that you just love? Besides the whole movie. Besides the whole movie, everything. I've already talked about my passionate hatred for the wallpaper. Um, (laughs) No, I think we've gotten to hit up all my favorite parts. I have a question. Uh, in and maybe you know this answer, maybe you don't. Um, but since it's your favorite movie, you might. Um, I read that the set designer in one of the houses saw this old peeling wallpaper and loved it so much that she used it in the whole room. Is that the wallpaper in Lionel's office, or was that something different? I have no idea. Okay. 
We should find the answer to that, though, because now I have a mystery to solve. <laughs> I can't remember, like, where it was, but it was because they were using a historical location, and she just loved the way the wallpaper was peeling and was, like, so great, apparently. Well, that's the only <laughs> place I can think of in the movie that had peeling wallpaper. So mm. I don't know where else it would be. It just, so the horrific wallpaper that, yeah. that the set designer was so proud of. Listen, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it's tasteless, which fits really, honestly, <laughs> Lionel's life very well. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I actually think that was on the Wikipedia page. I'm going to look it up really quick. Yes. Eve Stewart, the production designer, liked the modeled peeling wallpaper there so much that she recreated the effect throughout the entire room. <laughs> and that's Lionel's uh, consulting Thank room. You. Yep. Brilliant. <laughs> Well, she was very good at her job because the sets all looked fantastic. Oh, they absolutely did. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about the King's speech? So you've seen Downton and you want to see the mm-hmm. crown. Yes. Have you seen King Ralph? No. Hmm. Is that John Candy? Um, Dan Goodman? John Goodman. John Goodman. Are you sure? <laughs> Either way, I haven't seen it. I, I can, like, picture the, the VHS cover. Hmm. Just thinking, you know, Americans in, in royal in British royalty films. Hmm. That sounds like a terrible idea. Okay. <laughs> Dear listener, whatever you're doing, if you think we should watch King Ralph. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's one of those that I remember from childhood as just being ridiculously silly. So, does it hold up? Is it any good? I have no idea. (laughs) John Goodman and Peter O'Toole. O'Toole. Mm. (laughs) Okay. All right. Add it to the list. Clearly. Mm. (laughs) I refuse, but Matthew has, you know, Matthew has editing privileges on the list. So, if if he wants to add it, he has all of the authority and empowerment to do so. (laughs) Next week, King Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> I don't think it would go down well with Rachel either. <laughs> All right. All right. If you would like to join the conversation and tell us that we do not have to do King Ralph, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Emmy, thank you so much for joining us and bringing such a fun film to, to watch along. My yes, absolute thank you. pleasure. <laughs> do, I'm glad this you guys so liked fun. it. <laughs> <laughs> so we we have covered the Incredibles in the past, and, and believe it or not, we have seen Lord of the Rings. Although at some point we are watching the animated Lord of the Rings. Oh God! Because I love Good that luck. film. Good luck, man. Um, do you no, have it was fun. other recommendations for the list? Anything else that you love that you think we should seek out? You know what I did, and I should have written them down because now <laughs> they've all left my head. There is a Miyazaki movie called From Up on Poppy Hill. Mm. Um, that I don't know that you guys have it on the list. I don't know. Have you seen it, Matthew? Is that mm-hmm. why you're giving me the nod? Mm-hmm. There is it. It's exquisitely beautiful. It's really well done. There's one moment in it that while I was watching it, I literally like sat up and I was like, "Excuse me, what?" Like derails the entire movie. Um, and I think it would give you guys a lot to talk about. Okay, interesting. I don't think I've heard of this one. It's, it's one of his smaller works. It's another smaller. one of the Studio Ghibli films. So, mm-hmm. so I think okay. we're going to keep returning to them and hitting them every so often. But yeah, that is a, a, a beautiful, beautiful film. Also takes place it's probably time in World to War One. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, because Miyazaki has this obsession with flight and the planes that Japan developed at that time. And yeah, this okay. one is about uh, the families that are left behind and the the boats that are on the water and watching like you know your father would leave for months at a time um, to go fishing and get supplies or whatever, and then would finally come back or not like or would be dead um oh. and they're they're these kids and they all get they go to this uh boarding school and they have to like rehab an old house and there's a lot of stuff that happens it's great i did a okay. whole like i watched everything that miyazaki ever made mm-hmm. which is both great and also terrible um he's made some really weird stuff but that was one of my favorites okay cool. oh, interesting not like the Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, Howl's Moving Castle is my favorite, but okay, I also know okay. that that one was on your list already. Right. So we're, <laughs> yes, we're throwing was. this one in. <laughs> 
yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. No. This was so much fun. Yeah, really pleased you could make it on. So, so where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast? Absolutely. Um, so you can always find us online, you want to read Tolkien.com. Our podcast is pretty much everywhere you can download a podcast, <laughs> Apple, Google, Android, etc. Um, or you can find us on Twitter at So You Want to Read Tolkien. So yeah. Please stop by and tune in. We're working our way through Return of the King I was about and to having say, a yeah. lot of fun. If I put you on the spot, where are you up to at the moment? Let's look at my book. Nice. Um, our nice. She has the book, ladies one, and gentlemen. I do. Yes. The Battle of the Pelennor Fields is our next chapter. Oh, good stuff. So, good yes. Stuff. And, it is so good. And so after that is The Hobbit? Have you done The Hobbit yet? We did The Hobbit. You have so done So we've Hobbit. done The okay. Silmarillion, The Hobbit all the way up through here so then after this i don't know if we're going to work our way through the appendices or if we're going to work our way through um the the lost tales and baron and luthien and all that stuff first and then double back to the appendices but you're at the you're at the sharp point of lord of the rings though yes good time yes we are yeah go and check that so you want to be talking pop culture deprived is completely funded by our lovely listeners like you through patreon Anything you can give, even $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content, bonus shows, early access to shows, and physical merch. You can find out more by going to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about the Blues Brothers with Emmy's co-host Rachel from So You Want to Read Tolkien. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I have a sieve of sifted thistles and a sieve of unsifted thistles because I am a thistle sifter. (laughs) A Thistle sifter? Yes. Thistle sifter? Yes. <laughs> I am the sixth si- thistle sifter. <laughs> Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.